I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. Tonight we are back on to 1 Kings chapter 20, and we're continuing from verse 22. In the first half of the chapter, we saw Ben-Hadad come against King Ahab. Trey, what did Ben-Hadad do to prepare for the battle? He was drinking. Right, and not only drinking, Brock, how much did he drink? Um, he drank so much he got drunk. That's right. So that's where we were, and he didn't do well because the Lord had the prophet tell King Ahab that the Lord would deliver Israel that day, right? Mm-hmm. And that after that, he would know that the Lord is God. So now in verse 22. Afterward, the prophet came to the king of Israel. This was after all of Israel defeated, or the Israelites defeated Ben-Hadad. The prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, Their gods are gods of the hills. That is why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. Isn't that funny? Back then, theologies were so random that they actually thought that the God of the Israelites was the God of the hills. It's like they couldn't admit that he was just God, that there was no other God. Mm-hmm. He was pronounced the God of the mountains. That's what they were trying to say. and They said something lower. Well, that is true. Than the mountains. That also is true. They say, if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. Do this. Remove all the kings from their commands and replace them with other officers. You must also raise an army like the one you lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, so we can fight Israel on the plains. Then, surely, we will be stronger than they. He agreed with them and acted accordingly. Which is really stupid. You just had, remember they said they had like 7,000 chariots and there wasn't that many people on Israel. So what they're saying is, oh, we need to outnumber them again and then we'll give credit to the God of the plains, who's our God. When it's like, no, you just got beat by a complete underdog and it wasn't because it was the God of the hill country. It was the God of everything. Verse 26. 
The next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. When the Israelites were also mustered and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. The Israelites camped opposite them like two small flocks of goats, while the Arameans covered the countryside. Verse 28, The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says, Because the Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am the Lord. It's so crazy because it's like you would think he was teaching the Arameans a lesson because they're losing to the Israelites, so you would think that they were the ones receiving a lesson. But actually, it's the evil King Ahab of Israel whose army is winning that the Lord keeps saying, you will know that I am the Lord. Even the people who are victorious are not realizing that they are complete recipients of the blessings of God. And we see that all the time where people live with blessings that they didn't earn, with peace that they didn't pay for, and yet they don't recognize that the Lord has given them all these good things in their life. It must be frustrating. And I know God is, is not as easily frustrated as me, I'm sure, so I, I'm not going to put that on him, but I would be frustrated. For seven days they camped opposite each other, and on the seventh day, the battle was joined. The Israelites inflicted 100,000 casualties, wow, on the Aramean foot soldiers in one day. That's a lot. The rest of them escaped to the city of Aphek, where the wall collapsed on 27,000 of them. And Ben-Hadad fled to the city and hid in an inner room. That is real stuff. That's pretty bad. If you're in a hidden room and they find out, and you're trapped in it, you're dead. That's right. Well, we'll see. Verse 31. His official said to him, Look, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful. That's true. Let us go to the king of Israel with sackcloth around our waists and ropes around our heads, which means coming in humility. Perhaps he will spare your life. Wearing sackcloth around their waists and ropes around their heads, they went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please, let me live. The king answered, Is he still alive? He is my brother. The men took this as a good sign and were quick to pick up his word. Yes, your brother Ben-Hadad, they said. Go and get him, the king said. What do you guys think? Do you think Ahab's going to give him mercy, or do you think that Ahab's going to give him the sword? The sword. What do you think, Harper? The sword. The sword? Okay. Go and get him, the king said. When Ben-Hadad came out, Ahab had him come up into his chariot. I will return the cities my father took from your father, Ben-Hadad offered. You may set up your own market areas in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Ahab said, on the basis of a treaty, I will set you free. So he made a treaty with him and let him go. So he didn't take him to the sword, but he did keep that treaty with him that he wanted that land back that the people of Aram, the king, the Arameans controlled. And uh, so there you go. 
in verse 35. I didn't know either, guys, so don't feel bad about that. Verse 35. By the word of the Lord, one of the sons of the prophets said to his companion, Strike me with your weapon. But the man refused. So the prophet says, Because you have not obeyed the Lord, as soon as you leave me, a lion will kill you. And after the man went away, a lion found him and killed him. Really? Yeah, that's true. Of all things, a lion. (laughs) Probably if I had to run into any animal, maybe the last one I'd pick is a lion. Yeah. So in verse 37, the prophet found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him and wounded him. Then the prophet went and stood by the road waiting for the king. He disguised himself with his headband down over his eyes. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Your servant went into the thick of the battle, and someone came to me with a captive and said, Guard this man. If he is missing, it will be your life for his life. Or you must pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. That is your sentence, the king of Israel said. You have pronounced it yourself. Then the prophet quickly removed the headband from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. He said to the king, This is what the Lord says. You have set free a man I had determined should die. Therefore, it is your life for his life, your people for his people. Sullen and angry, the king of Israel went to his palace in Samaria. And the footnote there says, It is difficult to explain why Ahab let Ben-Hadad go, especially after all the trouble the Arameans had caused him. So, this footnote believes that Ahab should have done what you guys predicted, put him to the, put Ben-Hadad to the sword. God helped Ahab destroy the Aramean army to prove to Ahab and to Aram that he alone was God. But Ahab failed to destroy the king, his greatest enemy. Ben-Hadad was under God's judgment to die, and Ahab had no authority to let him live. That's an important thing to understand. It was God's judgment for Ben-Ahab. Ben-Hadad to die, and it was not Ahab's right to make that decision. For this, God told Ahab that he must now die instead. Okay, so he, he was actually delivering a prophecy. The prophet was delivering a prophecy to the king for allowing Ben-Hadad to live because Ben-Hadad didn't do what he should have done, which is what you guys said. So ultimately, your discernment was spot on that King Ahab should have struck down Ben-Hadad. Mm-hmm. Why would Ahab even think he's such a thing? I, it's, hard to, it's hard to imagine why, right? Yeah. Especially after the Lord just clearly delivered him. I don't know. And it says that this prophet's message soon came true that is Ahab dying instead when Ahab was killed on the battlefield. Yeah, so that goes back to what we were talking about where Ahab may have been delivered, but remember we had a hard time calling Ahab a good king. Ahab wasn't a good king. Ahab didn't discern the words Lord. We're sitting here and we're trying to, when we read the Bible, we're trying to discern what's on the heart of our father. We're just reading the story. This was actually Ahab's life. 
and he wasn't discerning the father at all. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, I think that's it for tonight. We're on spring break and it is Brock's birthday. So we are all sleeping up in the loft today and it's gonna be fun. We're happy for Brock turning nine and just thankful that we have been blessed with him in our family. We believe that there's a special blessing on his life. I love you, boy. I love you too. He has a good 